humans have been enjoying wine for 8,000 years or more, and there's never been entry exams, literacy tests, diplomas, or membership fees. You can go as far or deep as you want, or just take it all in and find your happy place. That being said, we like to spend our week looking for things that we can share with you in this space and time. We'll give you food for thought, ideas for adventures, and most weeks, tips, pointers, and insights that you can use the minute the program ends. Wine has always united us. It still does. And we've never needed that more. So climb aboard. There is no time like the present to get your adventure started. So here's your host, the doctor of deliciousness, the chairman of the Bordeaux, the top gun of wine fun, David Wilson. So I was trying to figure out what episode of Grape and well, I know what episode of Grape Encounters this is. This is episode 692. But let me just say this: that it might be episode 692. But I was thinking about what episode it is in the year, and I think it's like 46, something like that. And of the 46 episodes that I've done this year, I am now prepared to say who my favorite guest for the year is. I'm prepared to announce it. And he's blushing. I'm looking at him. We're in completely two different airspaces right now. But it's kind of my new best friend, Greg Graziano. It's the Graziano family of wines, Mendocino County, California. He's sitting there drinking wine. In his world, it's like a quarter after 10 p.m. I'm sitting here drinking fabulous Italian coffee, and it's, in my world, about 7.15 a.m. Greg, we couldn't be more opposite right now. Welcome. Thank you. Thank. It's, again, my greatest pleasure to be with you and to talk with you and... Uh... And it's a pleasure. You know, to be you're, here. The, you're the only guest, I think, that I can con into talking to me at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> so you're right in the middle of harvest. It's like you've got to be totally exhausted. Yeah, I kind of am, but my wife calls me the Energizer Bunny. Yes. Because I do have this incredible energy. And, you know, it's 68 years old, going on 69. I'm really lucky that I still have this because that's what keeps me going, man. I'm not going to delve into your wife calling you the Energizer Bunny. That's a different show. I think that's the Howard Stern show. Hey, seriously, we've got so much to talk about. I sent you a list of topics because there's so many things I want to talk to you about. We had you on a couple of months ago, and it was just a great show. And by the way, the podcast version of the show was heavily downloaded. We told people that you were going to talk about how your wife calls you the Energizer Bunny, and everybody had to hear the episode. <laughs> No. Anyway, no, it was really well-received. Well, I we think could, we, we talked about hipster wine, I think, is what we did, and that's why we got a lot of people I know. really excited. I think yeah. all three hipsters tuned in. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start by talking about Harvest. And, you know, I had my friend Wes Hagen on a couple of weeks ago, and I just love him. He's down in the, you know, like Santa Ynez Valley, and he's a great winemaker and kind of knows everything about wine. He's one of my go-to guys like you. But we were talking about harvests in California in particular. 
and the fact that, you know, if you're in Europe, the conversation about wine is often that this year or that year is a really good year. You got to buy the 81 or, you know, whatever it is. In California, does anybody care, Greg, about vintages? I mean, compared to the rest of the world? Well, well, well they, they do. And I must tell you, you know, I've been on my, this is my 46th or 47th vintage Good Lord. as a professional winemaker. And they're all different. And, you know, there's been a few really screwed up ones. 89, 2010, 2011, you know, where we got early rains, you know, we there were certain things that didn't quite work out. But there was always bright spots in those vintages where, you know, we made sparkling wines in 2010 and 2011. Those wines were amazing. They weren't great red wine vintages, but man, if you were making sparkling wine and you were making clean, crisp, fresh white wines at lower alcohols, those yeah. wines were incredible. There's let a me, bright spot in, in every vintage. Well, let me ask you the question this way. If I was a baseball player, I was a slugger, and I'm sitting at the plate and I'm, the pitcher's throwing balls at me, I may have it in my mind that I want to produce a a line drive up the middle, but then the ball comes and I have the opportunity to do something completely different. And that turns out okay too when I knock it out of the park with the bases loaded. And I didn't expect to do that. Do you as a winemaker, do you get off on meeting the challenge of a year that is not typical? In other words, you're going, oh, this is not what I'm used to, and this is not what I'm used to, and this is kind of screwed up. Let's have some fun with this. Well, speaking about baseball, it's kind of like Yogi Berra, you know. This is deja vu all over again. And and I think if you're lucky enough to go through enough of these vintages, you go, oh, wait a second, this reminds me of this vintage. Oh, yeah. And you know what? And I screwed up on some of those vintages, or I did the right things in some of those vintages. So really, that's one of the great things about having experience in this business, is that if you pay attention, you can take those lessons that you learned in previous vintages and use them to your advantage. We're living one of those vintages right now. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk to you about. Have you ever been scared by a vintage? You know, in, in 2010, nobody in the world probably has had 30 tons of Arnais sitting on the vine. <laughs> God. 20 sugar, right? And I had 20 tons. No, it was 30 tons of Arnais sitting on the vine. It was sitting about 20 sugar and we're watching the the weather really closely. And, oh, it's only going to rain like a quarter of an inch. And I go, you know, I'm just gutsy enough to think it's going to be okay. Yeah. And then what does it do? It rains three inches. Oh, no. And that's when we used to till the ground. We rotivated the soil. And it rained so much we couldn't get tractors in. We couldn't get harvesters in. The ground was so soaked and so muddy that within – two days, the entire 30 tons rotted. And it wasn't good botrytis. It was gray rot and horrible. And we lost the whole vintage. Well, I thought this was going to, I thought this was going to have a happy ending. That's not a, no, that, well, no, it does have a happy ending because what we did is we learned from that vintage is we no longer till the soil, you know, for a lot of other reasons. But in that vineyard, in case it does rain, we can actually get the machine harvesters in because we haven't tilled the soil. And the rain actually, we, we feel and learn now penetrates much better into the ground when it's not tilled. It's kind of, you know, you, you, you look at 
ground that you've filled up. And you go, oh, rain's just going to go in there and just go right down. And, you know, it doesn't work like that. It actually likes to go down in the ground faster and better when there's grass there. Okay, I think I can visualize in my head why that is. But let me ask you this question because we're going to have to go to a break in a minute here. This season has been anything but typical in Northern California. What are you facing right now? Well, we're you know, we had a late spring. Thank God we got a bunch of rain that we needed in the springtime because we were hurting for rain. And, you know, so it was going along perfectly. And we had a big crop. Things were really looking beautiful. And then we get a week of 117 to 115 degrees. And, and we were trying to give the, the vines as much water as we could. It fried old vines, young vines. I mean, it just fried certain varieties. Everything that was going north, I mean, north and south, it fried the western side of the vines oh and then okay then okay okay we you know we can deal with this and then a few weeks later we got three inches of rain <laughs> God. <laughs> so all right so I, we, I, we don't have time for you to answer my next question which is okay so what does that mean but that's what we're going to ask you when we come back hey we're talking to greg graziano he is probably one of the most happy-go-lucky winemakers i've ever met He looks a little bit like David Crosby, maybe. You know, you've got that kind of look, right? I'm in that era, right? And I've got my beard on, my my harvest beard, so. Okay, so, you know, oh, we have to talk about harvest beards. That's, I don't think we've ever talked about that on this show, but that's a that's a <laughs> good subject all by itself. Anyway, Graziano, family of wines. I have been in love with these wines forever. I have been drinking them for a long time because my brother lives up there, and every time there's a family event, my brother drags down you know, like cases of Graziano wine because he's kind of a cult worshiper of yours. And, of course, you know my brother. When I want to go mitake mushroom hunting, I, just, I know where to go. I know, right? And I never will admit to him that I love your wines because I don't admit that he's right about anything. But, you know, if he ever bothered to listen to my show, he would know the truth about our relationship. But that's not probably going to happen because he's too busy mushrooming. Anyway, we're going to be back with Greg and more Grape Encounters right after this. David will be back with more Grape Encounters right after they touch up his hair and makeup. Oh, wait, this is this is radio. Well, there's still paparazzi after the show to deal with. No. One of the top three reasons I love coming home to the U.S. for the holidays is that I get to lose myself in the mind-blowing selection of wines at Total Wine & More. Total Wine & More is the only place I'm aware of where you can check out thousands upon thousands of the world's best wines side by side, all for a fraction of what you might have to pay elsewhere. Plus, every time I visit Total Wine & More, I discover a new favorite. On my last visit, it was an astonishing Cabernet from Chile, priced about two-thirds less than you'd normally pay for a cab this amazing. And definitely buying more on my next visit, plus a case or two of great bottles to wow family and friends at holiday parties. And I know I'll be able to find awesome gifts for nearly everyone on my list that really pays to ask one of their expert guides for help. This holiday, you'll love what you find only at Total Wine and More. Curbside pickup and delivery where available. Drink responsibly. Be 21. 
The only thing that Mendocino County winemaker Greg Graziano can't tell you about wine is how many different choices he makes. It's somewhere between dozens and cowabunga. Artisans like Greg don't count, they create. Did Da Vinci or Michelangelo take inventory? Let's just say that Italians like Greg can easily get carried away, especially when it comes to food and wine. Great wine is in Greg's DNA. His immigrant grandparents started making Mendocino wines in the early 20s, and despite being the head honcho of the much-beloved Graziano family of wines, Greg is just a humble, lovable guy. When you play in the dirt all day, you can't help but be down to earth. Ask your wine cellar for Graziano Wines, or just visit GrazianoFamilyOfWines.com. They've got five different brands. Why? Well, because Italians tend to have big families. Life is just more fun with a Graziano at your table. Welcome back to Grape Encounters. Did you know there are more compounds in wine than in blood? Maybe vampires ought to rethink their drink. All right, so what happens when you're getting late into the season and then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, you have scorching weather that beats down on your grapevines and your vines are going, help me, help me. And then the vines get the help in the form of torrential rain that goes on for days. This is not a really good scenario for winemakers who are really hopeful of moderation, right? Greg, Greg Graziano's with me. President, founder, Graziano Family of Wines, and you had chaos for a while there. No, it was major chaos. I mean, it burned leaves. You know, we've got these 80-year-old Carignan vines, and we have some virus in those old vines, and they're kind of red leaves. It just burned all those leaves off. So some of these vines are just sitting there with no leaves, a really good crop. And I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? And then comes this rain, this torrential rain. But you know what was interesting? After the rain, the vines kind of dug it because even though we were irrigating them very gently a couple gallons a week just to keep them going because it was hot and it was dry but they dug it but it knocked their sugar down two bricks I mean they were all sitting about 20 21 and then I go back out and do sugars you know and a couple days after the rain I'm going oh it's 18 now oh my god and we're in the beginning of October and you know once you get in October anything can happen all right so you were talking about a varietal that most people are not familiar with in the last segment and it's one of my favorite white wines to drink if it's made correctly and that's Arnaeus. Yes. I love that grape but I like it on the sweet side, you know, certainly off dry. You're shaking your head. How- yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm not, I mean, other than Moscato, I'm not a big sweet wine I, drinker. I don't mean sweet, sweet. I just well, mean, I, I just like to taste the fruit and I like to have right. a little touch of something on my tongue, you know, just kind of juicy and delicious. Right. And that grape, you know, it kind of manifests itself that way for me. But I'm not talking about a sweet wine, no. No, right. No, I agree with you. It has that kind of quality. And it's nice because, again, it's a great wine for California because we can, this beautiful warm days and cold nights can give it that kind of juiciness that makes the wine really nice. Yeah. So, yeah, we're the oldest producer of Arnais in America, and we love the variety. And I make it myself, and I sell it to three different wineries. And 
California that fight over it, you know. So yeah, it's a, it's been a good thing for all of us because you know we love the variety. So we're going to come back to the subject of varieties that people are not so familiar with because if there is any king of planting grapes that people are going, what the heck? It's you. But let's go back to just the outcome of this weather phenomenon. By the way, in Italy, when you look at the weather report, it'll say phenomenon expected between this time and this time. That means basically thunder and lightning. Phenomenon. Yeah, phenomenon. I follow the weather very closely in Italy because one of the things I'm trying to do is to compare where we are with all these other different Italian regions. Okay. And it's really interesting the things that I've learned from that. Like what? Well, for instance, Italy never gets that cold at night. No. Because it's got the Mediterranean all around, yeah. around the wine growing region. So, you know, we'll get into the 40s, the low 50s during the growing season. Right. And usually in Italy, it's like in the 60s, right? But we get much warmer, but because we have that Pacific breeze, we have those Pacific currents that cool down the weather, we're much colder. And that's one of the reasons I believe that a lot of our grapes have better acidity than the Italian. Italian grapes is because of this cold nights we have and this cold airflow that we have from the Pacific, from the currents there. And, you know, I'm sure now that uh, most of Italy has probably harvested most of their grapes. Yeah. We still have lots of grapes to harvest here. What was an interesting fact at our vineyard in Potter Valley, and we're at the headwaters of the Russian River, where we produce incredible sparkling wines. This year, we were two weeks later than even Champagne. Wow. Yeah. And we picked at the same sugar as they do in Champagne. So I'm saying that's one reason why we make such good sparkling wines is because we get a longer hang time. Yeah, I just think that Potter Valley is the new champagne. It's even better than Anderson Valley. I, I can't wait to see that on an advertisement. Potter Valley, the new champagne. People are going to go, Potter what? Potter, Potter Val- what? Yeah, exactly. Potter Valley. Well, sort of the speed elevation there. That really helps. Kind of the Mayberry RFD of Mendocino County. Is that about right? Yeah, well, you know, John Parducci, one of the great winemakers of, of Mendocino, never really liked Potter Valley. said you could never grow grow good grapes there. And that was maybe before climate change, but it was also before we had really, really good grape growers in Mendocino County who grew the right varieties and knew how to grow those cool variety grapes like Pinot Gris and Pinot Blanc and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, Riesling, things that do really, really well in the Potter Valley and in Mendocino County. So yeah, I think, you know, things change. I mean, like I said, I've been doing this 45 years as a professional and every day I'm learning something, man. You never quit learning. So here's what I'm so curious about where you're concerned. You grow a whole lot of different varietals of grapes. And I think it's safe to say that most people will not be familiar with most of those varietals. And that is such a scary territory to wander into as a winemaker, because unless you've got a following, unless you've got some real marketing savvy, you can wind up with a whole lot of wine that nobody wants. And you don't have that problem. You know what? But for all the winemakers that are listening to the show right now, because we're popular in Napa and Sonoma and Mendocino, 
You're fearless where this is concerned. I, I never hear you say that you made a mistake by planning this, that, or the other thing. What gives? How come you're able to well, do this and most people feel compelled to plant the conventional grapes that they know will sell because everybody knows what they are? Well, let me tell you what. I made a lot of mistakes. No. For instance, no. when I when I, when I planted four acres of Arnace in Potter Valley in 2006, right? Okay. Because I just love the variety. And I thought everybody was going to rush to buy it. So, you know, I thought, well, we're going to get three tons to the acre. It's no big deal. You know, we'll be able to sell that. Well, little did I know because we're good farmers and because Potter Valley has got lots of water and very good soils, we were growing eight tons to the acre. Oh, no way. So five times eight is a lot of freaking grapes. Greg, that's not a bad (laughs) problem to have exactly. No, it is. It is when you're trying to sell the grapes and nobody wants them. Well, I suppose you could drop some fruit couldn't you? Hold well, this. yeah, but it, it, it yeah, we, we could, but that's not the way we usually run our business. So we ended up making the decision of saying, okay, after several years of turning it into just regular white wine and turning it in, you know, we, we said we're going to pull out some of the vines and plant Pinot Noir because Pinot Noir does very uh, well there. Uh, we did that and uh, that was okay. But now I wish I had those two extra acres of Arnace because everybody wants them. And I wish you did too, because the world has too much Pinot Noir. Listen, we well, got to take, take a break, Greg. We're going to be right back. Greg Graziano's with me. He's like my favorite guest of the year. You've got some tough competition too. I'm telling you that right now. I'm sure I do. I, you know, like I, we had Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank on earlier in the year. I just had the world's leading expert of amber and orange wines on. He's a stud. We've had great guests on this year, but none as amiable and as enchanting as Greg Graziano. Graziano Family Wines. Go buy their wines. I'm not paid to say that. I'm just saying it because we got to keep him going so I can have him on as a guest for many years to come. Back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Did you know that some wines are just as delicious and desirable after a hundred years as they were when they were young? Hmm, should, should I be seeing a winemaker instead of my doctor? Grape Encounters will return right after this. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry-farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine, walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMorganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two horse port style wine. MMorganics.com, eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. We're back with more grape encounters. Did you know that there are approximately 600 grapes in every glass of wine and about 3,000 in every bottle? And remember that breakfast cereal commercial that claimed there were two scoops of raisins in every package of their Bran Flakes product? It's a good thing most people don't drink wine for breakfast because the potential to have more than your fair daily share of grapes is definitely there. 
Thank goodness farmers grow more grapes than any other fruit. Aren't grapes groovy? Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and with me is the fearless Greg Graziano. He never met a grape varietal that he didn't like. <laughs> it seems that way, Greg, because how many different varietals have I'll you got planted? How many? We have 20 different Italian varieties, okay. and we got South African Pinotage, and, you know, and then plus we make wines for a bunch of other people, so we probably make every variety almost known to man in our place. Why? Every Bordeaux variety. Why? Well, because, you know, there's inquisitive people everywhere. And if somebody has a Bordeaux variety winery where they're going to do Carmenere and Petit Verdot and Malbec and Semillon and whatever, I'm like, bring your stuff in. We're going to make it and we're going to have a great time doing it. So you learn a lot about everything when you get to make as many different varieties as we do. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to learn. So where do you get these off-the-wall varieties from? I know there's some amazing nurseries out there, but can you get most of it in California? Yeah, you can. And then we actually had a guy that was in, in Ukiah who went to Italy who smuggled a bunch of stuff into Mendocino County from Italy. He brought us Negromaro, which is quite different from the Negromaro that I got from nurseries. But um, and he brought a, he brought our nace and a bunch of other stuff in. He said he had Nerello Compuccio, which I never saw, but he said he brought that in. He said he brought a bunch of stuff in. So that's one way we used to get stuff. You know, is Samsonite importing, right? <laughs> and you, you you could do that way back then, but you can't do it now. And it's probably not the best thing because we brought Montepulciano in back in, in the early 90s from Italy from this guy. And unfortunately, it had leaf roll virus. So it was always a difficult variety for us to get ripe because it had the leaf roll. And you don't want to be spreading viruses and diseases and insects, you know, from other places. I mean, but it's it was the way the system was set up and we just didn't want to wait. We were too anxious. You know, we wanted this stuff and we were going to do anything to get it. And that's what we did. And, and you know, maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. They say that when you sleep with a grapevine, you sleep with every grapevine that that grapevine has had contact with. <laughs> okay, I, I guess I can understand. I guess I can understand what that means. No, well, I mean that's why that's why they that's why they have laws about you know bringing in fruit and vegetables, right? Because that could get really ugly sometimes, right? Yes, it can. Okay. Yes, it can. You can bring in a lot of bad things from other places. Now, when that you've done that, when, when you've done that, have you gone to the local priest and asked for forgiveness? No, no. Unfortunately, we were just hiding, making sure that nobody found out about it. <laughs> but <laughs> one of the things we did do is that once we knew there was a problem, we never would give the wood to anybody else. We okay. said, "We're not giving you any of this because we this is not good. We don't want you to spread it around." So I was telling my brother the other day that I was going to smuggle in uh, some vines for you. And the way I was right. going to, I had concocted this whole plan. Are you ready? So my mother okay. used to, she used to, my mom used to take like grape vines and, and things that had, you know, flexible uh, branches like weeping willow right. and that sort of thing. And she'd make these lovely holiday wreaths, Right. I had it in my mind that I was going to make you a holiday wreath that 
on the surface, you just open up the package and there it is. And I, I'll have like little holly berries attached to it and all this stuff. But actually, when you get it out, you can just start unwinding it and it's just nothing but vines. Isn't that a great idea? No, that's it, it was done that way before. Trust it, me. Oh, that wasn't my idea? That's how some <laughs> of it was, was brought in. Yeah, around Christmas time. Oh, yeah, I'm like, you know, then that was before, obviously, 9-11. Okay. 9-11, yeah, screwed everything up. I can't but, believe you know. we're I can't believe we're actually talking about this. Anyway, what's the most obscure wine that you grow that people just freak out over in a good way? Freak out. Well, I think one of the things we're working with. I mean, obviously Nebbiolo. It's not so obscure. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's, that's not, that's, give me something more obscure than that. That's not obscure. Well, Sagmentino. Oh, yes. Or, or Cota de Volpe or, or Falangina or, you know, there's some pretty obscure stuff that we've got growing. I said, we got 20 different Italian grape varieties that we're growing. And, um, yeah, and Tokai Friolano, you know, there's not very much of that. Um, but, yeah, no, we've got some cool stuff that we're growing and, and selling to some hip winemakers who are doing some really good stuff with it. And we're excited about it. Okay, so let's say that you're standing behind your tasting room bar at your tasting room, okay? Guy walks in, a woman walks in, whatever, and you say, uh, you start talking, and then you ask the person, so what do you like? Uh, what do you typically drink? And the person says, oh, I'm a big Cabernet fan, love Cabernet, you know, which is like what 80% of the people will say or Pinot or right. something like that, right? So when you're going to say back to that person, if you love that, I've got something you really have to try. What is it? Well, sometimes you can fool them. You give them something totally different. You like right? doing that? Because they think, they think they know what they want. So somebody will do that, and I go, here, try this. And they're going, oh, wow, this is, oh, I like this even better, but it's not quite like that. And that might be Alianico yeah, because it's big, it's dark, it's got lots of tannins. Or Sagrantino. Give them Sagrantino, and they're, ooh, because sometimes that's what they want. They want that tannins. They want that dark color. It's maybe not so much the, the flavor and aroma profile that they love. It's the structure of the wine. They're hooked. I think those are the most important words that you've said so far in this interview, that it isn't necessarily the flavor. It's the tannins, it's the acid, it's the sugar, whatever it is that you love. You got to get away from the, you know, get away from the, it tastes like berries and cassis and all that stuff and start to zero in on what the other things that you're experiencing when you're drinking wine are, and you're going to become much more open-minded about wine if you do that. Don't you think? I, I do. I do believe that. Yes. I used to have fun when I had my wine bar. There was a Merlot. It's kind of a heavily produced wine from Emio. I think it is. It's one of the Wagner family kids. Emilo. Um, yeah. Emilo. Emilo. That's right. Emilo. Uh, see, I'm in Italy. I'm going Emio. But anyway, Emilo. And that Merlot is actually really delicious. I love that wine. It's a little pricey. It's not. It's just above mainstream prices. But it's really quite good. And then there's another Merlot made by my friend Adam Lazar. I don't know if you know Adam, but he... Uh, yeah, I know the name. He, Adam's yeah. a, he's a rock star winemaker uh, down south, but 
He's the head winemaker for the Wine Hooligans, which has become a pretty good size uh, company. His Merlot, too, really good. So I would keep those wines kind of tucked behind the bar for one specific purpose, and that was when somebody would say, well, I love everything except Merlot. And so I would just go, oh, perfect. And I've got, I've got just right. the wine for you. And then I would pour him a glass of Merlot, right? Right. Either one of those two wines. And they'd just go, oh, my God, this is so good. And they'd, well, you I'd can let, do that really easy in Italy if you can afford it. You just pour him a glass of Masetto from Frescobalde, you know? Okay. Or which is like $400 a bottle now. I'll just pour them that. Yeah. That's a good idea, Greg. Yeah, good right. idea. Or, or you pour them the Avignese, which is there in Montepulciano, not Abruzzi, but in Tuscany. Yeah. And I think it's like Desiderio, or it's an incredible Merlot. The Italians actually make much better Merlot than the Californians. I was actually surprised to see how much uh, Merlot is made here. I absolutely love good Merlot. absolutely hate bad Merlot. You know what? If if you hate Merlot, I guarantee you there's a Merlot out there you'll love because it's a very diverse wine that's made a lot of different ways. can be really delicious. But we're not here to talk about Merlot. We're here to talk about Greg Graziano and his very peculiar corral of wines. I say corral, by the way, because a corral here is like a singing group, you know? And I went to, just for you, Greg, last uh, Sunday, I went to, at our little municipal theater, an event. And guess what it was called? He's shaking his head. The event was called Coro. Really? Okay, there you go. It's, I gotta send you a poster. I gotta see if I can find yeah. one. I'll send you a poster. A singing we'll, of, of many voices. Yeah, we'll explain that in just a second. But we gotta take a break. We're talking to Greg Graziano, the Graziano family of wines. It's a big family, by the way. <laughs> I tell you, they have got a lot of different wines, and they're all good because Greg doesn't make caca. That's it. He doesn't make bad wine. All right, we're gonna be back with Greg in just a second. At every family gathering, my brother Steve and I each bring several bottles of wines and try to one-up each other. I bring wines from all over. Steve only brings wines from California's Mendocino wine country, where he's lived for decades. And even though there are hundreds of great wineries there he can choose from, he mostly brings wines from the Graziano family of wines. Now you'd think you'd see a lot of duplicates from past gatherings since most producers only make 6 to 12 wines, but Graziano has 5 brands that make literally dozens, upwards of 30 mostly Italian varietals, and all rock stars. Made by the real rock star, Greg Graziano. You can hear my recent interview with Greg at GrapeEncounters.com, and you can find Graziano wines all over America, or buy them online at GrazianoFamilyOfWines.com. I've never confessed how much I love Graziano wines to my brother, and uh, let's keep it that way. One of the top three reasons I love coming home to the U.S. for the holidays is that I get to lose myself in the mind-blowing selection of wines at Total Wine & More. Total Wine & More is the only place I'm aware of where you can check out thousands upon thousands of the world's best wines side by side, all for a fraction of what you might have to pay elsewhere. Plus, every time I visit Total Wine & More, I discover a new favorite. On my last visit, it was an astonishing Cabernet from Chile, 
priced about two-thirds less than you'd normally pay for a cab this amazing. And definitely buying more on my next visit, plus a case or two of great bottles to wow family and friends at holiday parties. And I know I'll be able to find awesome gifts for nearly everyone on my list. That really pays to ask one of their expert guides for help. This holiday, you'll love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery were available. Drink responsibly. Be 21. All right, well, I've made a big decision today. I've decided that after 16 years of doing this show solo that I'm going to have a co-host now. Greg Graziano oh. is going to be the co-host of Grape Encounters. That's actually not true, but it ought to be true. I mean, as good as our ratings are, they'll go through the roof if Greg is part of the team. Right, Greg? Wanna be I would hope so. I mean... You, you know, to... I can be pretty entertaining. Not as entertaining as you, but I can be pretty entertaining. I've had to bleep a couple of words here today, Greg. What's going on? <laughs> like, I never have to do that. I'm sorry. Winemakers don't curse. <laughs> yes, no, they no. do. <laughs> anyway, oh gosh, I had so many questions to ask you. I've gotten through a number of them, but one of the questions I definitely got to ask you is this. When I look at the wine industry and just the whole love of wine that people have, and I, I go back like 15 years ago when we first started the show, there have been things that have happened in that period of time that I would never have imagined happening. Like one of them has been the incredible proliferation of screw caps. Remember when they just started putting those screw caps on? I was livid. I was so mad about it. And I, and I kept saying, those darn Australians. Somebody stop those Australians from doing this because they were the ones for sure. Yeah, and the New Zealanders, they were, you know, they were also the ones that started it. Well, and what? we felt the same way. I mean, many winemakers in California felt the same way. And um, I got to admit that in the beginning, I was skeptical because there were some problems. You know, we found yeah. that some of the Pinot Noirs that they put in the bottle became reduced under the screw caps. Yeah. But, you know, you learn. I mean, there's things you can do to protect yourself so, so that's not a problem. We were skeptical of the fact that maybe the wines were going to age as well. They do age as well, but they age differently. That's the thing. So I think when you're making a wine, you've got to say, okay, how do I want this wine to age? Do I want it to be more complex? Do I want it a little oxidized? Or do I want it to be a bit more fresh, yeah. maybe a bit more angular? You know, And if those are your answers, you can put it under the kind of closure that you want. Okay, so tell me a couple of things that have happened in, let's say, the last 10, 15 years that if you could go back in time, you'd go, that would never happen. Well, you know, again, I've always been a, a historian and, and wine lover of the ancient world in Greece and Italy and Georgia and whatever. I never really thought orange wines would have the impact that they do now. I never really thought that the amphora, I thought it was basically just going to be a, oh, this is just a fad. And that was one of the things that I kind of thought, but you know, with all the young hipster kind of winemakers that are out there, I mean, I knew the natural wine movement was going to be important. I knew that organics were going to be important because it's an important way to go. But I think I didn't realize the impact that it was going to have. So last week I had on 
Simon Wolf, who is the preeminent expert on orange wines in the world. He's a great guy. It's one of my favorite interviews of all time. So there's that. And then you mentioned natural wines. And I want to just make a comment here. I remember when I first started this show and we were just talking about organic and natural wines. And I remember going into a rant one day and saying, you know, I went to Whole Foods. I was in search of a good organic wine. I bought four or five different wines. I brought them home. They were terrible. I said, can somebody please find me a decent organic wine? That's the truth. They were terrible in the beginning. Absolutely no, terrible. They, they were, and, and they're definitely getting better. And, you know, this is part of the evolution of winemaking is that we're all trying to be better winemakers and trying to be as natural and as organic as possible for basically the good of the earth. I mean, that's the main reason to do it. Am I a big, big fan of all that? Not especially because my problem is I'm just a little bit too much of a control freak, you know? <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about, I, I had a revelation when I went to bed last night and it's a big revelation and it's going to really torque some of my listeners. It really is. I'm going to lose 25% of my listeners right now. Ready? Unless okay. they really, really take to heart what I'm going to say here. And that is, if you're listening to this show and you're saying... I'm a wine enthusiast. I never liked the word wine lover, by the way. I like wine enthusiast, even though the magazine's got the thing cornered, you know. But I'm a wine enthusiast. I love wine. Wine's a big part of my life and all this. If you say that and then all you do every year is load up on cases of the same old wine that you've been drinking for 10 years, guess what, brother? You're not a wine enthusiast and you shouldn't even be listening to this show. Because this show is not for people who buy the same wine over and over and over. Why bother listening to me? Why right. why, no, exactly. why would you even go to the Graziano Tasting Room? Do not go to Graziano Tasting Room if all you do is buy the same wine over and over again. Unless you're willing to change your thinking and open your mind to other things. There, I said it. Greg, that was really... I agree. That was suicidal. No, but, but I agree. It's like, I don't really like to go to the same restaurant. Like, we go down you know san francisco is a two-hour drive for us my wife and i sometimes will go down and just have dinner and sometimes drive back sometimes get a hotel but we always want to try a new restaurant just to yeah. see what it's like right yeah because in san francisco alone if you decided you were going to go to every restaurant in san francisco and you were going to go to two restaurants a day one for lunch one for dinner and you just started doing that by the time you got to the end of the restaurants there'd be so many new restaurants you'd have to start all over again so why do you right. want to eat the same food what's going on well but just like the graziano family of wines there are some restaurants in san francisco yes that i want to go back to again because i had such a great meal so if you love great wine and you love the diversity maybe you should go to graziano and maybe drink more of their wine but still drink other wines too well, just let, to know let, how good our wines are okay maybe. so don't get me wrong there are certain wines that i would love to have three or four cases sitting in my place right things that i really love it's not that Okay. Those are sort of my showcase wines. Friends come over. I want to turn you on to my favorite cab or whatever it is. That's not the problem. The problem is people go to a store and, and especially you Trader Joe people, you're traders. That's what you are. You're Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's, but you just go there and you just get the same bottle.
bottle of wine each time. I see people coming out of Trader Joe's with a shopping cart that's got, you know, like 10 cases of wine stacked up. It's like, yeah, maybe if you knew where those wines came from, you might not be buying so much. Well, I'm not going to diss the wines, but I'm just going to say, you know what? Come on, try something different, please. Try something different. So we got to go, Greg, but right. you know what I love about you is that if somebody wants to try a different wine every week, then they should probably become a member of your wine club because you got so much to choose from. You are like looking through the web telescope of wine. He's sitting well, there. That, that's quite a compliment. I appreciate that very much. No, it is. Every week I see these pictures posted from the web telescope and things I never imagined, things I've never seen. And that's what Graziano is, is just wines that you've never imagined, you've never tasted. And there's lots of Greg Grazianos out there really that are doing great things and offering up stuff that you haven't had before so come on come on get out of your rut live a little all right that's gonna do it for grape encounters today uh, got lots of really good shows in the can that you can find at grapeencounters.com be sure to visit graziano family of wines check them out and i am not being paid to do a commercial for them i just love what they do we'll talk to you later bye mm-hmm.